What's your favorite scary movie? Time podcast for two twenty-something LGBTs talk the movie of the week, real life crime or events, and if it's worthy of being an honorary gay film. And yes, the titles are puns. I'm L. I'm Kate. Hello, everyone. Happy May. Hello. All right. Very very exciting stuff today. This what we're doing today is something that's been on my list for a, a while. Um, it's what's 1998's Bride of Chucky, the fourth. Ah! Ins- Woo! The fourth installment of the Child's Play franchise, the real one, not the. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, directed by Ronnie Yu and written by Don Mancini, who you know created created the character of Chucky and is still kicking it with him. Thank yeah. God. So let's get into it. So L, you hadn't seen this before, right? And you were kind of worried about if you had to see all the sequels leading up to this or not. Yeah, no, I'd, I'd only ever seen the first Chucky film, um, so I was just like, is there anything else I need to know, like, from the other movies going into this? And the answer is no, you do not. Just just gotta know his origins, and that's pretty yeah. much it. As long as you know about, like, the voodoo stuff, and, like, because, yeah, and then they bring Tiffany in and tie her into all this. Oh. Honestly, like, I, <laughs> three's probably, like, my least favorite. It takes place at, like, a military academy, and it's just really fucking weird i don't know interesting two was actually the first one i saw here's the story story time um (laughs) i had this like childhood fear of chucky even though i'd never seen these movies um it's just one of those things you know where like you just the the thought of something scares you too much so i didn't see this till i was a grown-ass adult they were showing it was like a midnight show at the new beverly so I went with my brother and Brad Dorf was there and he was so awesome. <laughs> it's like, well, I'm not afraid of Chuck anymore because it's just this nice man <laughs> behind the voice. And then and then I went back and watched the rest. <laughs> nice. But he was great. He like, th- uh, I honestly, like, I think the franchise gets better once Tiffany comes in, who is the, the title, the titular role, the bride of Chucky. And yes. I feel, I'm sure he agrees because like, this was, this, again, this was a Q&A for the second one that I just screened, but the second they mentioned just Jennifer Tilly in the Q&A, he, like, lit up. He jumped off the stage he was sitting on. He was like, oh, she's great! He's like, I wasn't alone in the recording studio anymore! And I'm just like, oh my god, you poor man. Uh, <laughs> so basic, like, plot of this, for those who haven't seen it, is so Chucky, the, the good... I'm gonna say good time doll. That's not what it is. Good... <laughs> <laughs> Good boy doll? Oh, God. I'm losing my cred here. The doll, the serial killer in the in the very first Child's Play, Charles E. Ray, is getting, like, uh, gets sh- killed by cops after a getaway and puts his soul into a doll via voodoo. And so this cut to 1998... His uh, former, back when he was a human, he had this girlfriend, Tiffany, played by Jennifer Tilly, and she's, you know, trying to bring him back to life, but has to bring him back to life in the doll first. And they need this amulet he was buried with to put him back into human bodies, and they, they find the bodies they want in these two teens, these two straight teens. <laughs> <laughs> the girl's played by Katherine Heigl in an early role. But that's yeah. the gist of it. I 
D- any like first like thoughts about all of this? Al? I fucking love Jennifer Tilly so much mm-hmm. in this film. Um, she's fantastic. Uh, I could watch her just like not like even in the doll like it emulated her <laughs> in such a yeah. way that I was just like I can I could just watch this all day. The craft behind those dolls and the puppetry and everything is incredible. Like, like I'm always, you know me, I'm always here for practical effects. And also just, Jennifer Tilly is literally treating this, I mean, there's so many layers to her performance because she, when she goes, like, full camp, she goes full camp, but she's also treating this, like, the relationship drama that it is between her and Chucky. Like, there's this moment early on where she's just like, you never changed, and it's literally like, you're feeling like... She's treating this like Tennessee Williams or something. (laughs) It's great. And it works. Like, I forgot how much this really is a relationship drama in a way. Like, and how much of of an arc Tiffany actually has with that. Where, like, she's just as much of, like, an evil killer as Chucky. And so they bond over that in times and you see. And it's really fun. But there's also moments you see where she doesn't... Where she realizes she's not being treated the way she thinks she should be treated by him mm-hmm. yes exactly girl go go off and that <laughs> that ties into the ending and the we belong dead and everything <laughs> uh the bride of frankenstein reference <laughs> <Like video laughs> pointing meme <laughs> and also, like there's like hints of like humanity that shows through that like chucky does not have um like yeah. when she like remarks about jesse um, mm-hmm. and, um, uh, Jesse and Jade's relationship, she, like, she thinks they're cute, you know, and she kind of has, like, this little almost soft spot for, like, because they're young teenagers, which, like, you know, she kind of, yeah. sometimes, like, being so in love with somebody, um, but then, like, when she is being, like, in, being an evil bitch, she's, like, so bad, she's, like, especially when the <laughs> officer came around and she was like predictable when he picked up when Chucky picked up the belt the ball hammer. <laughs> <laughs> I was just living for that. I was like, oh my god, she's just so awful. But I I love her so much just because she I I think Jennifer Tilly does such a good job with her that like I can't help but love her even though she's just such a terrible person. And like <laughs> no, she fine. like almost revels in it and I, and I love it. Like she doesn't like feel apologetic for who she is and i kind of just love that like she embraces both aspects of herself i i don't know i just really loved uh her character in this movie especially when she uh became a doll and like (laughs) the first thing she tried to do was like probably murder chucky she's like you son of a bitch what have you done to me (laughs) and the the whole transformation where she like makes the doll look more like who she was when she was a human being and then she's like barbie eat your heart out i was like yes I love yeah. it. A lot of iconic like lines in this. That that's a prime example. <laughs> uh, going back to that moment in the van you mentioned, where he has the hammer, and also where he like has a knife, and she's like, "Oh, that's so. Th- that's that's out." And like, because this is this is very this is a couple years after Scream, so like, this is the kind of the first of the the series to be more self aware, and there's a lot of that in this, and mm-hmm. the fact that this is think like 10 years after the first one and you know characters are commenting like because they see the doll itself and he's like oh that's so 80s and all this stuff it's like where (laughs) where is the place for chucky in the 90s and it's the late 90s but um so there's references to that including the finding more clever ways to kill 
because this has always been an unconventional kind of slasher franchise, but it gets just more and more like that. With the next one, Seated Shucky, hello. Uh, <laughs> I also kind of want to do that one for this, but that's a that's another story. Uh, <laughs> yeah, that's just I don't know. The also this is um Ronnie Yu. He also did Freddy versus Jason, which I fucking love, and it it. <laughs> He has a very, like, definitive, like, style of, like, I don't know how to describe it. Just, like, bonkers. <laughs> like, oh, my gosh. I don't know what the budget was on this, but it seemed like they had one. Because, like, there's, there's trailers <laughs> blowing up. There's the, the mirror scene that... Oh, my God, The yes. mirror death scene where this, the, the couple, the, the scheming, like, motel couple that Tiff throws the... The b- bottle of champagne against the glass yes, mirror. And it rains down on them. The shards come down. I guess. I guess we should also mention like the part of the plot of this is that they're setting up these two these two kids to be the serial killers. Yeah. <laughs> and at one point, they even both think that the other one is like, a killer. <laughs> and it's like maybe you two shouldn't be running off and getting married just yet. Also, she's. I. They never say how old. The guy is what's um, Jesse. Oh, Jesse. But she. Yeah. But she, the, but, <laughs> but Jade is very definitively not eighteen yet, and it concerned me the entire time. <laughs> not that this is thought thoughts. <laughs> yeah, like she's. I think she's supposed to be like seventeen or something. She's definitely not, but like eighteen. As yeah. as far as I can remember, but I think he was supposed to be like just out of high school or something, so like <laughs> maybe a couple years her senior. But I was <laughs> these two. I'm like I'm like the first time something bad happens, they instantly suspect the other, and I'm just like okay, I see where this is going. <laughs> it's like damn. It's like yeah. you have to have the ingenues. Oh yeah. But the but but Chucky and Tiff are way more interesting in there. Their relationship yeah. is way more interesting. <laughs> I love it when they set up the trap for uh, Jade's uncle when he like yeah. tries to plant the marijuana and they like have the nails and he's like, "What is? Why does that look so familiar?" And that was apparently an ad lib line because uh, he looks like Pinhead from Hellraiser. Oh yeah, uh, and I was like, <laughs> yes. Yeah, there's God, lots of, there's that, and there's the references to all the other, like, slasher paraphernalia in the beginning that's in the, like, yes. evidence depository. <laughs> you see, like, the Michael Myers mask and, like, yes. Leatherface's chainsaw, etc. We should so also, good. yeah, we should also give a shout out to, we're talking about Jade's uncle that's played by the late, great John Ritter, and I get mm-hmm. sad whenever I see him on screen in anything, like, to this day. <laughs> he's great in this. He, he usually doesn't, like, this was kind of a different role for him. He, he's evil in this. <laughs> Kind of a bit of a dick. The evil uncle, and he's a cop. Like, forget about it. (laughs) Forget about it. This movie said it can. That's what I said. My roommate walked in when Chucky was setting the cop car on fire, and I'm like, Chucky's dead, fuck cops. (laughs) She's like, okay. (laughs) That's great. (laughs) I love when they're, like, when they're at that, um, like, parking lot that has, you know, like, a food truck and stuff, and it's very obvious that everyone there is smoking weed, and the guy that's in the car sees Chucky... Uh, crawling away and like Chucky flips him off he's like rude ass dog <laughs> <laughs> I love it so much yeah like there's a lot of intentional I should point out humor to this movie like some horror movies are unintentionally funny but this is very 
very intentional, very clever, and it just <laughs> like I feel like they had to like dial back after Seed of Chucky with like the humor and the camp and go more straight horror. But I honestly prefer these. I prefer this. You know, I always like a little comedy in my horror, and so yeah. I think that's why this this speaks to me. And I I cannot stress enough Jennifer Tilly. I cannot she, stress Jennifer- it. Do you have time to talk about Jennifer Tilly? Right? Oh, she should EGOT from this and this alone. <laughs> I don't care if that's not how it works. God. Something I, I hadn't... I've only seen this... I've, I've actually only seen this a couple of times, but I forgot how great her laugh is in this. She has this... It's so good. Oh, my God. Yeah, like, you first hear it over the phone when she's talking to the guy that... The, like, security guard or whatever that grabs Chucky for her. And she just knows that something happened that spooked him, and she lets out this laugh. I'm like, curiosity killed the cat. I'm like, oh, she's good. <laughs> oh. oh, oh, so good. I, just, I love her. I will I, in the movie when uh, after Tiffany killed the couple in the waterbed. Yeah. And Chucky proposed to her. I did not know that there was going to be a doll sexy. <laughs> <laughs> surprise, surprise. I was like, hello. I was like, thank God I'm watching this up in my room because I don't want to have to explain this because I know my parents would walk in the second this happened and I'd have to try to explain. I'm like, I just say I'm watching porn. I don't know. Hell, <laughs> uh, <laughs> not another doll sex scene. We've talked about this. <laughs> and according to Jennifer Tilly, that was all improv. So, <laughs> What, just like what they're saying? or Yes. <laughs> I, I am rubber. <laughs> Oh, that. Okay, great. Yeah. <laughs> well, that turned out to not to not be true, and they actually did need protection, but they didn't yeah. know. Who That's knows? Funny. It would be so soon. Um, <laughs> it's, it's Doll gestation is, is very quick, I guess. It's just 20, less than 24 hours. <laughs> uh, oh, can we shout out to the... Can we shout out to the... Uh, the soundtrack, because, like, they opened with Living Dead Girl, and I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> sure, yeah, I don't know these songs, but yeah, so if you do, great. <laughs> <laughs> I just love that, uh, the, uh, it's got, like, a Rob, choose Rob Zombie music uh, songs oh, yeah. in this, and I was just like, oh my god, I heard Living Dead Girl when I was at my, uh, horror, at my, uh, Halloween haunted houses back when I worked at them. Uh, and we had a couple in my house that would play that. Um, I'm just like, every time I hear at least one of those songs, I'm like, ah, oh, the days. So it's not the greatest soundtrack I've ever heard, but considering how <laughs> camp this movie is, I'm like, it kind of fits. So I'm like, I'm totally down with it. It just, I know that this was 98, but I feel like it kind of belongs in like the aught, the, the early aughts horror. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like family almost like <laughs> and the soundtrack ties into that like it when you watch something and it totally dates itself but uh, like but that's not a flaw to me like i love that era like probably for nostalgic purposes mm-hmm. like i just i just watched the hitcher remake and it starts out with an all-american reject song i'm like all right let's do this <laughs> <laughs> that kind of thing you know <laughs> All right. <laughs> but so you you mentioned 
what your true crime would be for this in relation to it. That's why I was like, I, I should probably mention what Jesse and Jade are doing in this. So, yeah. yeah, they're fleeing from the cops. Yeah. Uh, and they get referenced to as, like, modern day, in that time, Body and Clyde. And I was like, what better way to do a true crime <laughs> than to talk about the famous Bonnie and Clyde, which it's always, like, it's never just one or the other. It's always both of them, which is kind of like, after uh, Bride of Chucky, it's kind of like, it's it's Chucky and Tiffany, like, I can't oh, yeah. imagine it any other way now. Uh, so, a little bit of backstory on both of them. Um, so, Bonnie was, uh, Bonnie Elizabeth Parker, she was born in 1910 in Rowena, Texas. Uh, she was second of three children. Her father was a bricklayer who died when she was about one years old, uh, and her mother uh, moved her family back to her parents' house in Cement City, which is in West Dallas, and she worked as a seamstress. Uh, during the second year in high school, Parker met Roy Thornton, and they dropped out of high school and married on uh, September 25th, 1926, before her like 16th birthday, six days before her 16th birthday. <laughs> okay. Um... Their marriage was marred by uh, frequent absence and brushes with the law, and it was a short-lived. Um, they never divorced, but their paths never crossed again after January of 1929. Uh, she was still wearing his wedding ring when she died. Uh, Thornton was in prison when he heard of her death. Uh, he commented, I'm glad they went out like they did. It's much better than being caught. Uh, Thornton was killed while trying to escape from the Huntsville State Prison in 1937. So, Clyde Barrow was born in 1909 into a poor farming family in Ellis County, Texas, which is just southeast of Dallas. He was the fifth of seven children. Uh, his uh, family moved to Dallas in the early 1920s, part of a migration pattern from rural areas to the city where many settled. Uh, they spent their first months in West Dallas living under their wagon until they got enough money to buy a tent. Uh, Clyde, was Barrow, Clyde Barrow was first arrested in late 1926 at 17 after running when police confronted him over a rental car that he had failed to return on time. His second arrest was with his brother named Buck, uh, soon afterwards for possession of stolen turkeys. Uh, Barrow had some legitimate jobs during 1927 through 29, but he also cracked safes, robbed stores, and stole cars. He met Bonnie when she was 19 years old through a mutual friend in January of 1930, and they spent much time together during the following weeks. Their romance was interrupted when Barrow was arrested and convicted of auto theft. Uh, he was sent to East, East Ham Prison Farm in April of 1930 at 21. He escaped from the prison shortly after his incarceration uh, that, with a weapon that Bonnie had smuggled him. He was recaptured shortly and then sent back to prison. Uh, apparently, he had been repeatedly sexually assaulted while in prison, and he retaliated by attacking and killing his tormentor with a pipe, which crushed his skull, uh, and that was his first killing. Uh, another inmate, who was already serving a life prison, claimed responsibility. Uh, in order to avoid hard labor in the fields, Barrow purposely had two of his toes chopped off by either him or another inmate in late January 1932. Jesus. Because of this, he walked with a limp for the rest of his life. Uh, however, Clyde was set free six days after his intentional injury. Without this knowledge, uh, borrow, uh, Clyde's mother had successfully petitioned for his release. He was paroled on February 2nd, 1932 from Easton as a hardened and bitter criminal. His sister Marie said something awful sure must have happened to him in prison because he wasn't the same person when he got out. Uh, fellow, fellow inmate Ralph Fultz said that he watched Clyde change from a schoolboy to a rattlesnake. Uh, in his post-ESM career, Clyde robbed grocery stores and gas stations at a rate far outpacing the ten or so bank robberies attributed to him and the Barrow gang. 
His favorite weapon was an automatic rifle. That was the the Browning automatic rifle, the BAR. Uh, according to John Neal Phillips, Clyde's goal in life was not to gain fame or fortune from robbing banks, but to seek revenge against the Texas prison system for the abuses that he had suffered while serving time. Uh, before I go any further, I want you to guess how old do you think Bonnie and Clyde were when they died? Oh, probably young as shit, right? He was Am 25, she was 23. Yeah. And I'm like, I look at their that. pictures, and I'm just like, yeah. they do not look that age. <laughs> <laughs> well, I remember, I think I remember wondering about their age because they act so fucking young in the movie, and I know the, a movie's fictionalized, but they they act like almost like t teenagers that mm -hmm. like aren't aware of like the ramifications of what they're doing like they're just like like it's all like fun for them <laughs> so yeah that, that that's stuck out to me all right so there are several accounts that describe uh bonnie and clyde's first meeting the most credible states that they met on january 5th in 1930 at the home of clyde's friend clarence clay uh in the neighborhood of west dallas uh clyde was 20 years old and parker was 19 parker was uh Bonnie was out of work and staying with a female friend to assist her during a recovery from a broken arm. Clyde dropped by the girl's house while Bonnie was in the kitchen making hot chocolate. They were smitten instantly, and most historians believe that Bonnie joined Clyde because she had fallen in love with him. She remained his loyal companion as they carried out their many crimes and awaited the violent death that they viewed as inevitable. I'm like, damn, so young, damn. and they're already like, it's, it's gonna happen. I'm like, okay. <laughs> Ride or die. <laughs> The, the truly, like, ride-or-die shit. Um, so, after Clyde was released in February of 1932, he and Fultz began a series of robberies, primarily of stores and gas stations. Their goal was to collect enough money and firepower to launch a raid against East Ham Prison. On April 19th, uh, Bonnie, and uh, Bonnie and Fultz were captured in a failed hardware store, Burgley and Kaufman, in which they had intended to steal firearms. Bonnie was released from jail in a few months after the grand jury failed to indict her, uh, but Fultz was tried, convicted, and served time, and he never rejoined the gang. Uh, and on August 5th, uh, Clyde, Randon Hamilton, and Ross Dyer were drinking moonshine at a country dance in Stringtown, Oklahoma, when Sheriff C.G. Maxwell and Deputy Eugene C. Moore approached them in a parking lot. Uh, Clyde and Hamilton opened fire, killing Moore and gravely wounding Maxwell. Moore was the first law officer that Clyde and his gang had killed. They eventually murdered nine. So in July of 1933, the gang checked into the Red County Red Crown Tourist Court south of Platte City, Missouri. It consisted of two brick cabins joined by garages, and the gang rented both. Uh, there was a popular restaurant among Missouri Highway Patrolmen to the south of the Red Crown Tavern. And the gang seemed to go out of their way to draw attention. The owner of Red Crown Tavern registered three, their party as three guests, but owner Neil Hauser could see five people getting out of the car. He noted that the, back, the driver backed into the garage gangster style for a quick getaway. <laughs> uh, Blanche paid for their cabins with coins rather than bills and did the same later when buying five dinners and five beers. The next day, Hauser noticed that his guests had taped newspapers over the windows of their cabins. Uh, she again paid for five meals with coins. Her outfit of riding breeches attracted attention because it was not typical attire for women in the area, and eyewitnesses still remembered them, like, decades later. Uh, Hauser told Captain William Baxter of the Highway Patrol, a patron of his restaurant, about the group. Barrow and Jones went into town to purchase bandages, crackers, cheese, and atropine sulfate to treat uh, Parker's leg, because it had gotten injured. 
Uh, the druggist contacted Sheriff Holt Coffey, who put the cabins under surveillance. Coffey had been alerted by Oklahoma, Texas, and Arkansas law enforcement to watch for strangers seeking such applies. Uh, he then contacted Captain Baxter, who called for reinforcements from my city, Kansas City, including an armored car. Coffee led a group of officers toward the cabins at 11 p.m., armed with Thompson's submachine guns. In the gunfight which ensued, the 45 caliber Thompson's uh, provided proved no match for Clyde's 30 caliber bar, stolen on July 7th from the National Guard Armory in Enid, Oklahoma. The gang escaped when a bullet short-circuited the horn on the armored car and the police officers mistook it for a ceasefire signal. Uh, they did not pursue the retreating Clyde uh, vehicle and the gang had invaded law once again, but Buck had sustained a bullet wound that blasted a large full hole in his forehead, skull, bone, and exposed his injured brain and Blanche was nearly blinded by glass fragments in both her eyes. Jones parted company with the gang, uh, continuing to Houston when they risked a run to Dallas to see their families for the first time in four months. Uh, he was arrested there without incident on November 16th and returned to Dallas. Uh, through the autumn, Clyde committed several robberies with small-time local accomplices while his family and Bonnie's attended to her considerable medical needs. On November 22nd, they narrowly evaded arrest while trying to meet with family members near Sowers, Texas. Uh, Dallas Sheriff Smoot Schmid, Deputy Bob Alcorn, and Deputy Ted Hinton lay in wait nearby. Uh, as Clyde drew, drove up, he sensed a trap and drove past his family's car, at which point Schmidt and his deputies stood up and opened fire with machine guns and a bar. The family members in the crossfire were not hit, but a bar bullet passed through the car, striking the legs of both uh, Clyde and Bonnie, which uh, and they later escaped that night. So in 1934, it was the final run of Bonnie and Clyde. So these two were killed on a rural road in Benville Parish, Louisiana, uh, May 23rd, 1934. Hammer had begun tracking the gang on February 12th and had led the posse to this ambush. He studied their movements and found that they swung in a circle skirting the edges of five Midwestern states, exploiting the state line rule which prevented officers from pursuing a fugitive into another jurisdiction. Uh, Clyde was consistent in his movements, so Hammer charted his path and predicted where he would go. The gang's itinerary centered on family visits, and they were due to see Methvin's family in Louisiana. In case they were separated, Clyde had designated Methvin's parents' residence as a rendezvous, and Methvin became separated from the rest of the gang in Shreveport. Uh, so there were six men in, the, in this posse for the police. There was Texas Officers Hammer, Hinton, Alcorn, and B.M. Maney Galt, and Louisiana Officers Henderson, Jordan, and Prentice Morrill Oakley. On May 21st, the four posse members from Texas were in Shreveport when they learned that Clyde and Bonnie were planning a visit to Bienville Parish that evening with Methvin. They set up an ambush along Louisiana State Highway 154 south of Gibbsland towards Sales. Uh, he recounted, Hinton recounted that their group was in place by 9 p.m. and waited through the whole of the next day with no signs of perpetrators. Uh, and other accounts said that they set up on the evening of May 22nd. At approximately 9.15 on May 23rd, the posse were still concealed in the bushes and almost ready to give up when they heard the 4V8 Clive was driving approaching at high speed. In their initial report, they stated that they had persuaded Ivy Methan to position his truck along the shoulder of the road that morning. They hoped that Clive would stop to speak with him, putting his vehicle close to the posse's position in the bushes. When Clive fell into the trap, the lawman opened fire while the vehicle was still moving. Uh, Oakley fired first, probably for any order to do so, and Clive was killed instantly by Oakley's headshot, and hence had reported hearing Bonnie scream. The officers fired about 130 rounds, emptying their weapons into the car. 
Many of Bonnie and Clyde's wounds would have been fatal, yet the two had survived several bullet wounds over the years in their confrontation with the law. So the Bullet Riddle Deluxe, originally owned by Ruth Warren of Topeka, Kansas, was later exhibited at carnivals and fairs and then sold as a collector's item. In 1988, the Prime Valley Resort and Casino in Las Vegas purchased it for some $250,000. Clive's enthusiasm for cars was evident in a letter he wrote earlier in the spring of 1934 addressed to Henry Ford himself. Uh, while I still have got long breath in my lungs, I will tell you what a dandy car you make. I have drove Fords exclusively when I could get away with one. For sustained speed and freedom from trouble, the Ford has got every other car skinned, and even if my business hasn't been strictly legal, it doesn't hurt anything to tell you what a fine car you got in the V8. Um, there's actual film footage taken by one of the deputies immediately after the ambush, showing 112 bullet holes in the vehicle, of which around one quarter struck the couple. The official coroner's report by parish coroner Dr. J. L. Wade listed 17 entrance wounds on Barrow's body and uh, 26 on that of Bonnie, including several headshots on each and one that had snapped uh, Clyde's spinal column. So Undertaker C.F. Boots Bailey had difficulty embalming the bodies because of all the bullet holes. Uh, the officers inspected the vehicle and discovered an arsenal of weapons, including stolen automatic rifles, sawed-off semi-automatics, assorted handguns, and several thousand rounds of ammunition, along with 15 sets of license plates from various states. Hammer stated, I hate to bust the cap on a woman, especially when she was sitting down. However, if it wouldn't have been her, it would have been us. Word of the deaths quickly got around when Hammer, Jordan, Oakley, and Hinton drove into town to telephone their respective bosses. A crowd soon gathered at the spot, and Gotland and Alcorn were left to guard the bodies, but lost control of the jostling, curious crowd. One woman cut off bloody locks of Bonnie's hair and pieces from her dress, which were subsequently sold as souvenirs. Uh, Hinton returned to find a man trying to cut off Clyde's trigger finger and was pretty sickened by what was occurring. Uh, Hinton enlisted Hammer's help in controlling the circus-like atmosphere, and they got people away from the car. So Bonnie and Clyde wished to be buried side by side, but the, but the Parker family would not allow it. Her mother wanted to grant her final wish to be brought home, but the mobs surrounding the Parker house made that impossible. More than 20,000 attended Bonnie's funeral, and her family had difficulty reaching her grave site. Uh, Bonnie's services were held on May 26th. Dr. Alan Campbell recalled that flowers came from everywhere, including some with cards allegedly from Pretty Boy Floyd and John Dillinger, which were heavy uh, crime men in that time. Uh, the largest floral tribute was sent by a group of Dallas City newsboys. The sudden end of Bonnie and Clyde sold 500,000 newspapers in Dallas alone. Uh, Bonnie was buried in the Fish Trap Cemetery, although she was moved in 1945 to the new Crown Hill Cemetery in Dallas. Uh, thousands of people gathered outside uh, both Dallas funeral homes, hoping for a chance to view the bodies. Clyde's uh, private funeral is held at sunset on May 25th, and he was buried in Western Heights Cemetery in Dallas next to his brother Marvin. The Bear Brothers shared a single granite marker with their names on it and an epitaph selected by Clyde, gone but not forgotten. Uh, by 1934 summer, the new federal statutes uh, made bank robbery and kidnapping federal offenses. Uh, the growing co coordination of local authorities by the FBI plus two-way radios and police cars combined it to make it more difficult to carry out series of robberies and murders than it had been before. Uh, two months after Gibbsland, Dillinger was killed on the street in Chicago, and three months after that, Floyd was killed in Ohio, and one month after that, Babyface Nelson was killed in Illinois. So, this is a very famous couple. Yeah. 
<laughs> and they are in so much pop culture. They are in films. They're in music. They're in TV. They're in theater. The Books, musical. They have slang. The musical. The idiomic uh, phrase "modern day Bonnie and Clyde" generally refers to a man and woman who operate together as present day crim- criminals. Uh, there's used to describe as a couple that is extremely loyal and willing to do anything for each other, even in the face of din- uh, danger. Yeah, ride or die, literally, <laughs> quite literally. Um, there's also <laughs> something called the Bonnie and Clyde syndrome, which is the pop culture phrase for hyperstophilia, which is the phenomenon of becoming attracted to, sexually aroused, or achieving orgasm based on knowledge of or watching an outrage or crime take place. Um, and this is exemplified by uh high profile criminals such as like charles manson richard ramirez uh reportedly receiving volumes of sexual fan mail and love letters and i can't get a fucking date so what the hell is going on (laughs) and they have so many books that like there's uh a bibliography section because they have so many they couldn't list it on their wikipedia (laughs) Uh, there was a Korean adaption of the Bonnie and Clyde musical that ran at Chungmu Arts Hall in Seoul, in Seoul from September to October of 2013. And it was all premiered in Lo- London's wef- Off West End for a brief five-day stint at the Other Palace Theater in 2017. There's a television film, and of course the very famous movie, which was directed by Arthur Penn, which starred Warren Beatty and Faye Dunaway. And it's, it's a romanticized story of the criminals. Um, and the most recent thing was the John Lee Hancock Netflix film, The Highwaymen, uh, showing the Texas Rangers on a successful hunt for the pair <laughs> with Kevin Costner and Woody Harrelson. For the dads. For the dads. Um, there is several memorial stones at the rural ambush site that have been ravaged pretty bad. Um, you can see them uh, on the Wikipedia. Um, but they are still there. I don't know if they'll ever, like, try to fix them up or anything, but Bonnie and Clyde are two very famous criminals, and the fact that they, I'm just, I love every time that they get mentioned, because it's like, they're, talk about, the, they, their story will never die, I think, because they were just so infamous of a couple that committed these crimes. And sorry, I kept <laughs> saying their last names and then their first names, it's, they haven't listed for their last names in the Wikipedia. I'm like, you're fucking me up! I'm trying to have to remember their names. <laughs> but no, yeah, and they were just in their early 20s when they did all this, and I'm just like, I'm one year older than Clyde when he died. And, like, the fact that they, like, were, like, expecting it to be a terrible, like, violent end for them. I don't know what that says, but just, like, that's probably their mindset being that it's just kind of, like, wild. Honestly. These violent delights have violent <laughs> right. No, that's not from Westworld. No! Like my co-worker. Not... Or I get... It, I mean, I, I, it apparently is, but I once said that. It was like, ah, oh, Westworld. And I'm like, it's it's Shakespeare. No. <laughs> no. Both wrong. It's from Twilight. Anyway. <laughs> Shakespeare been real quiet since Twilight. <laughs> God. <laughs> Yeah. So although Bonnie and Clyde were not gay, is this film <laughs> an honorary gay? Love that segue. So, I mean, there's a <laughs> there's a lot to talk about here. Like the um a couple things. Uh firstly, like Don Mancini is gay, the creator of mm-hmm. Chucky. So like when I fa- when I first found that out, I was like so excited. It it was very just exciting in general in my adult life as a horror fan to figure out how many or not figure out to discover 
how many horror creators were queer and Don Mancini was one of them. I was like, oh, fuck yeah, fuck yeah. And yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. (laughs) And I mentioned before that this is kind of the start of when like the campiness gets to come out and it goes full fledged in Seed of Chucky, as you'll see. But this was, this was the start of it. And um, Tiffany's definitely in addition to that. Also, there's um, Alexis Arquette was a, a trans actress in this that played, um, I forgot his name. The, who, Tiffany, or not Tiffany, Chucky kills, kills him in the trailer. Um, oh, yes, the goth pr- boy. The goth boy, yeah. Sorry, I should say she's playing a, a male character in this. I'm not sure how she was Damien. presenting at the time. Yeah, Damien. Yeah. Um, and also there's a, a gay character in this, um, David, the, the, the gay yeah. best friend, which, <laughs> like... Which seems like quaint now, but I feel like it in in ninety eight even to have that like present, and not like there's definitely there's definitely some stereotypes in the script like him saying he's studying theater and doing like figure skating, <laughs> and John Ray just goes uh huh, <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> but he's a very he's a very supportive friend to both of them, has a very has a very untimely death in this movie. Though. It's almost like a Final Destination death. <laughs> The way he just fucking exploded, I was like, hello? <laughs> I don't think that's how it works. But that's exactly like, how it works, yeah. And, yeah, it was just, like, very casual, too. Like, when she mentioned it, I was just like, I had to do a double take, like, hello? <laughs> did, did she say what I think she said? But, no, yeah, it was just, it's like, I was like, oh, I didn't expect this. <laughs> Is there any anything I missed? Jennifer Tully makes me gay. That's true. Oh, I mean, she's a... <laughs> She's a gay icon. I told you to watch icon. Bound. She, oh, uh, yes. Yeah, honorary gay icon, Jennifer Tilly. Her presence makes this movie gay. <laughs> For sure. <laughs> God bless. Yeah, if you've only ever seen the first Chucky film, just go to this one, I guess. Because <laughs> uh, you don't really need to see the other two. <laughs> Fuck the other. Wow. <laughs> wow. I might watch them just to be like, I watched them. Um, but Chris Sarandon's in the first one. <laughs> Chris Sarandon. Well, yeah, just after we watch the first one, you can watch. Because we got to see Chris Sarandon. I think. Uh, I'm not going to tell people to not watch the other ones. But if you're like, this sounds more my game than a straight up slasher. Yeah, you can start here. I don't, <laughs> I don't want to tell anybody what to do. <laughs> it's a good film. I, I enjoyed the first one. I think it's really fun. It's not like... I don't classify it as scary to me, but it's like, uh, uh, Brad Dorif is just, he's so charismatic. And also, okay, the chemistry between him and Jennifer Tilly, even as the oh, dolls, yeah. Oh, yeah. is so good. Like, you can't deny it. Uh, I, I, they play off each other just so well, and I think that definitely helped make the movie, too. So, highly recommend. Definitely. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And it's on Netflix <laughs> right now. Woo! Well, Love accessibility. Well, that's great. Um, we can wind down if you want. Sure. Would you like to go first? Either one? Sure, yeah. I Okay, I already talked about Falcon and the Winter Soldier on here, right? I don't need to do that again. I, don't, it's, it's, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I will. But, well, it's over now. It's, it's over. <laughs> um, so I, I then I did an Agent Carter rewatch. Um and it's still canceled and like me rewatching it again didn't uncancel it. I don't know how that works. God damn it. What are we going to do about this? I just I 
already know the answer to this, but I, for the, the there's something you all should know about me. And it's that I don't think Chad Michael Murray understands that, like, every character he plays in a movie is gay. <laughs> I, I just rewatched House of Wax, too, and I'm just like, this guy's gay. He doesn't know it. He doesn't get, like, I, he must just be, like, so comfortable with his masculinity that he doesn't understand these acting choices that he's doing that, at least to me, read like, and, like <laughs> So, Chad, if you're hearing this, good job. Uh yeah, rewatch your work. <laughs> rewatched House of Wax. That was that was great. I, the Hitcher remake as well, which I had never seen. Uh, oh, I rewatched Rush because I've been watching a lot of Daniel Brühl movies, and it <laughs> slaps. The, the race car movie. Yes, correct. The thing I really wanted to to talk about or just give a shout out to is this movie from last year called Breaking Fast. I don't know if you saw me like having a just like yelling I saw a little about bit this the it. other day. Yeah. Yeah, it's this, oh, it's so cute. It's just this cute, this cute WeHo set gay movie about, like, a a gay Muslim man living in WeHo, and, like, he's very, like, devout, and so it's Ramadan, and, like, um, so just, it's first of all exploring, like, what that kind of identity means and what his life is, and he also, he meets, he's gone through this breakup with this, you know, guy who didn't want to be out to his family, and then a year later meets this guy who, his name is Cal with a K. And first I'm just like, oh, interesting. Like, like Cal, oh, like, but like, I thought nothing of it. <laughs> and then like in the next scene, he's like, so your name's Cal, what's that from? He's like, well, my full name's Cal L. My parents named me after Superman. And I'm like, hello? Oh, ah! <laughs> Not only that, then they like start reenacting the Superman movie. And I'm just on the streets of WeHo, and I'm like, did I make this? Um, <laughs> and then their first official date is seeing Superman the movie at the Vista Theater. I'm just like, wow, that's... Oh, my God. So I feel like big, stupid geek energy here, because, like, there's so much more that this movie has to say and is going for it and what makes it, like, this unique perspective. But I'm just like, oh, my God, it's a gay movie with Superman references. Oh. <laughs> It's just a delight. It's on Hulu right now. That's the one thing I wanted to talk about. How about you? <laughs> um, so I, I'm still reading the same book as usual because uh, I'm very terrible at reading <laughs> these days. Um, but I have been watching a lot of films. Um, I don't know if I mentioned it last time that I watched Apocalypse Now. Oh. I don't remember. Um, with Marlon Brando in Much Shadow. Uh, for the most yes. part, because he's not as imposing as they wanted him to be, but I thought that the shadow thing worked, so good job on them. Uh, and then I watched The Maltese Falcon, um, <laughs> which I found out that Leonardo DiCaprio owns uh, one of the copies that they made for The, the Maltese oh Falcon, um, and he put it in the house that he was supposedly li- like supposed to be living in in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, uh, it's in, it's one of the props you can see in, oh. in this house. Um, cool. and apparently you can tell which one is the one that, uh, was the main one used and that, uh, Humphrey Bogart dropped because there's dents on the tail. Uh, <laughs> and that's on, that's the one that's on display, uh, at, uh, one of the museums that has, you know, props and stuff. And then I was, I was going through my hundred list, so I was, and then I watched mm. Br- Bridge on the River Kwai. Uh, which was good. I, I didn't expect to really like it that much, but I thought it was a good film, so, um, but, you know, go with that. And then I watched 
promising young woman. Oh, here we go. <laughs> Um, okay, so I can see why people might not have liked this film, but if you go in expecting this to be some kind of, like, rape-revenge film, then you're just, it's completely off. Go watch yeah. the movie Revenge, that's what that is, because I don't think that they're trying to frame um, Carrie Mulligan's character, what she's doing, as a good thing, because it's obviously, like, spiraling her, uh down into something dangerous like what she's doing is so dangerous like even if she is sober going to strange men houses is very dangerous because men can be very unpredictable uh when confronted with situations where they're not quite sure what to do um and like that that's how i saw it anyways i don't think it was supposed to be something that like oh this is a good thing that she's doing because i understand like she's trying to get justice for her friend when a system failed her and like all these people that had the authority to help her and get justice for her just simply turned the other way because yeah, it's a play off of you know the promising young man like mm -hmm. how can we ruin his life and it's like well he ruined hers so you know fair trade um but the things that she does are it's, it's not good um but my god carrie mulligan's performance in this oh. was so good absolutely fantastic yeah i i can't yeah. remember what i said about it on here when i first watched it and i i loved it too but just going back to what you were saying about how the danger that she's putting herself in and that's something that she knows and like to don't listen to this if you haven't seen it because i'm about to mention the ending but like it's a very conscious choice that what she's doing she knows that she might not survive it and she doesn't um no. but that's the the way the way the emerald like talks about it the her i feel like if you're not really sure what to think of this after you watch it you should watch her sundance q a afterwards because it just like puts so much into perspective for me and how like she talk because the way she sees it in that ending and everything and just like karen mulligan's character is like Cause yeah, like I don't I don't know how to explain to you if you don't know this that like just because this is your protagonist doesn't mean it's like saying that all of this behavior is what is the right thing or what like the the right way to go or anything. She mm -hmm. like she viewed it almost more of like a she compared it to like I, think, I don't know if she mentioned western specifically, but like you know the lone man going into this dangerous situation not caring if you live or die. That's what she said. Yeah. She's like there's so many movies about that with ma with male protagonists where they don't care if they live or die they just want to get their mission done and that's what she's doing in this and like i'm sorry that that's not the movie you thought that this was going to be but this is the movie she wanted to make and she did it and she did it well and that's all i'm gonna say oh. <laughs> <laughs> just like i'm over this discourse it just it won an oscar so fuck yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah there, there was an article i think i linked on my um that was talking about like the emotional trauma of it because yeah. like she she like the guilt she feels that she wasn't there for her friend and then like also finding out that the guy she was seeing was mm -hmm. there mm -hmm. like even though he didn't do anything he was there and he didn't do anything yeah that's the thing um, he didn't do anything when he should have anything yeah that's i feel like that was the camel that like the the straw that broke the camel's back for her 
Like, and that's why she seems yeah. so shut off from everybody because, like, she doesn't want to get, like, hurt like this again. Like, being, like, mm-hmm. having a friend like this and having this happen to her. Um, Dude, that Night of the Hunter needle drop after that, after she sees that video, I was like, oh my god. <laughs> I was like, whoa, shit. Oh, shit. And especially because, like, they, he seems so, like, good and, like, he's so nice. And, like, he's, like, singing with her in a pharmacy. Uh, at, like, a CVS or something. And then just when that hits, you're like, shit. Shit, shit, shit. Like, ugh. So we might just have to do an episode on it or something. I know it's not horror, yeah, but, yeah. This, I'm like, I yeah, we could be horror. here all night. But, yeah. Yeah. Um, and then I watched, uh, the last movie I watched before I watched Brian Chucky uh, was called The Borderlands. Um, but it was released as Final Prayer uh, in the United States. Um and it is a found footage film, but there is a reason for the found footage, um, which I greatly appreciate, because uh, I don't like just random found footage that doesn't make any sense why they're filming it. Um, it's basically these these three men, uh, one of whom is uh, a priest, uh, were sent by the Vatican to investigate uh, these supposed claims from a priest in like this very small town in um, a European country to investigate if they're true or not and so they set up cameras and they have like this camera they wear on the side of their heads to like document like the entire time uh what is going on and they set them up in the house and in the uh in the church and it's really i don't it's it's fun i i enjoyed it greatly um but the ending i was like what the fuck is happening uh like kind of in a good way but also just like what the shit um, so I recommend that. Um, it's kind of weird. I think you can watch it on Tubi, um, is where you want to watch it if you decide to. Um, but I liked it. Um, and there's not like, and it does the escalation, but it's not like, it's not like paranormal activity too, uh, is what I, is what I will say about that. So, uh, that's mostly what I've been up to, and I also got back into listening to more podcasts, and I've been listening to Lore, which is nice, because, um, when you have a good narrator voice and a good story to tell, it's always good to, to listen to that on the drive and to and from work, so, uh, that's pretty much what I've been up to, so, not, not a lot, but I've been having a good time, and I can't wait to watch the next horror movie that we're gonna cover in June. Oh my June. god, next month's gonna be great. <laughs> we have a... <laughs> I, I just <laughs> yeah we have a, a, gr- a guest coming on too that i'm very excited about uh yes. and it's technically like our pride month episode i guess but we are i mean it's pride month every month in, in stomp horror time <laughs> land but <laughs> i just decided since we have a guest and a very very homoerotic movie choice that it's our pride month episode <laughs> Woo! so there <laughs> and so we'll be talking more about that um you can find me at dyke madden on twitter you can find me at LM Designs on Twitter, and you can find the podcast on Twitter at Horror Time Pod and Facebook at Stop Horror Time Pod. And where, if you like what we do, uh, you can always give us a review or rating on wherever you listen to podcasts. It's more just to be able to spread us and share us around and hopefully get more people to check out. Uh, and we're great for people who want to know more about horror movies but just cannot watch them. Uh, <laughs> so we will see you guys next month, and I'm very excited for the horror movie. Uh, Stay safe, and we'll talk to you guys later. Bye. Bye!